it was ordained that Shibli Bagarag, nephew to the renowned Baba Mustafa, chief barber to the court of Persia, should shave Shagpat, the son of Shimpur, the son of Shulpi, the son of Shulam, and they had been clothiers for generations, even to the time of Shagpat the illustrious. Now, the story of Shibli Bagarag, and of the ball he followed, and of the subterranean kingdom he came to, and of the enchanted palace he entered, and of the sleeping king he shaved, and of the two princesses he released, and of the afrit held in subjection by the arts of one and bottled by her, is it not known as twere written on the fingernails of men and traced in their corner robes? As the poet says, Ripe with off-telling and old is the tale, but tis of the sort that can never grow stale. Now things were in that condition with Shibli Bagarag, that on a certain day he was hungry and abject, and the city of Shagpat the clothier was before him. So he made toward it, deliberating as to how he should procure a meal, for he had not a dirham in his girdle, and the remembrance of great dishes and savory ingredients were to him as the illusion of rivers sheening on the sands to travelers gasping with thirst. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about the first page of The Shaving of Shagpat by George Meredith, published in 1956. Sorry, uh, 1856. 1856. <laughs> published in 1856. And joining us tonight is Alexander Danner. Hello. Hello. It's good to be back again so soon. <laughs> Won't be soon for the listeners. <laughs> these will get shuffled. So, uh, are either of you familiar with this work? Ben, I imagine you're slightly familiar since you put it on the list, but I have never heard of it. Uh, I have not either. Uh, I've never read it, but I've heard of it. Uh, it I don't know. It kind of comes up. Actually, the, the cover that I have here is from um, uh, Lynn Carter's 1970 uh, reissue uh, when it was published in the, uh, the Ballantine adult fantasy line, hmm. which if you don't know by name, you know other books in that series, I'm sure. Uh, that was kind of like one of the big uh, reprint series for fantasy. Uh, I'm just looking it up now, so I, I get... I don't get anything too wrong, but I think, I mean, I, well, we'll, we'll get, we'll get there. Uh, but yes, so this cover is from 1970. I found it in a used bookstore, uh, recently in a small town in Texas. Um, this was an antique and bookstore. Hmm. It was full of stuff. Uh, and when I asked the owner how he replenished or, Oh, what did I say? I, I said, uh, where do you replenish your stock from? And he said, the dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's extremely good. Very nice. Yeah. So it's probably worth uh, stating for the record before we actually get into this, that this is a fantastical tale set in ancient Persia, written by a white Englishman mm -hmm. in the 1800s. So, yeah, I'm going to say uh, when, when I saw this cover, I, I immediately looked at this and saw the uh, probably not accurately depicted 
uh, Arab men uh, up there with that very British sounding name and immediately Google to check what we were dealing with here. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there, there's going to be a lot of <laughs> colonialist Orientalism uh, inherent in all of this. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, uh, if, I, if I hadn't heard this book uh, just in the, the history of fantasy, uh, I may have stumbled across it in uh, uh, Edward Said's uh, mm. uh, Orientalism book. Uh, because yeah, no, this is, this is, and actually, uh, Lynn, Lynn Carter's, uh, intro kind of, uh, without using any of these words exactly kind of places it squarely in that, you know, it's like, oh, after the thousand and one tales was translated, there was a great Vogue and all these other books were written and it's like written by who? Yeah. Yeah. Written by who Lynn? Yeah. No. And this is very much the, um, we're taking, uh, Arabia as a fantastical world of strange creatures and strange peoples mm-hmm. and 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 treating a real culture as a, a fantasy land. Mm-hmm. Although um, I do note, at least from the Wikipedia, that apparently Meredith was a big anti-imperialist uh, with, quote, a loathing for the foul fury of jingoism. Hmm. So at least he's not all bad as far as I can tell. And I think the writing is enjoyable. I agree with that. No, I, I, I do. I think stylistically, there's a lot to like here. Um, and I, I do think this may be a case of good intentions that have aged poorly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I suspect none of these names are authentic names. Yeah, that's that uh, uh, at least on this first page was the thing that was that caught me up. I was like, oh, this this is probably a little bit problematic just mm. from the jump. Yeah. Uh, if not in the story, then in the details. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I uh, didn't try to do it in uh, that accent I was practicing all today. Mm. <laughs> uh, Unless it's British. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting because like, like, I mean, as you guys are pointing out, like George Meredith, whatever his political leanings, uh, his... Uh, experience in this area was probably very limited and Mm -hmm. probably very limited to English translations of uh, other books and then the other books that were inspired off of those books, you know, if that, right? Mm -hmm. So this is someone who read, uh, you know, A Thousand and One Nights in one of the popular translations and then, you know, said like, oh, this is a fun thing. He probably read things like the Dime Store Adventure novels written by by Britishmen who had gone and toured in the Middle East mm-hmm. or uh, all of the the British uh, colonialists in India. And I'm sure there's there's some um, conflation of cultures there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But, you know, the the these adventurers were were celebrities and, and their stories falsified, though uh, they often were. <laughs> Were, were taken as authentic depictions of of these foreign lands uh, that Meredith may never have been able to see for himself, um, which is how you end up with with it becoming this this um, repository of fantasy. Yeah. Well, it's curious also with with like the the, the language here, uh, but like the you know the the son of Shimpor, the son of Shulpi, the son of Shulam. Like those names are, I'm going to guess. 
chosen more for their humorous sounds than mm-hmm. uh, like actually taken from any books of genealogy. Um, no, it's like reading a, the the you know dwarven genealogies in Tolkien, <laughs> mm-hmm. or uh, uh, in um, uh, in D- in Discworld maybe also more. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but um, but like like I mean I I know I, I have seen that construction in uh, translated or translations of Eastern tales, let's say, but also obviously uh, all over the, the King James Bible, mm. right? mm-hmm. which I guess you could also uh, put in the category of translations of Eastern tales, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but there is something like, like it, it, it's curious. I guess my question is, why would he do this? Like, was this something where like he read the book and he thought like, Oh, this looks like a fun thing to do. Like you can kind of make up whatever you want. And like, there's fun, you know, like quote unquote, like authentic turns of phrase to, to play with or uh, a different folklore. Mm -hmm. Or I guess, let me put, put it this way. Uh, what would, uh, draw either of you to ever write something like this? Um, well, obviously, in the current day, I, I wouldn't. Um, but but I think for him, it would have just been a genre. Mm-hmm. Mm. It was it was a popular genre, and it was a commercially popular genre. Um, maybe it spoke to him in other ways also. But if this is right after uh, "A Thousand One Arabian Nights" is translated, this may have been a good business decision. In addition to just having fun with this with this very contemporary genre that not a lot of people had played in before. Yeah, exposure to like especially new styles of writing tend to be tend to spark inspiration, even if um, even if it's not always advisable to follow up. <laughs> right, right. It's the uh, like uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, I think, called it uh, the like the Dunsany problem. Is that like if you are interested in fantasy, the first time you read Dunsany, you're going to say like, oh, I can do this. Mm. And like, mostly you can't, or, you know, yeah. uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> That's another one where like, I remember after people read that in some writing classes, like you could see it like snake its way into people's yeah. writing, uh, never, never quite at the same level or for the same effect. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I do love that, that second par- uh, paragraph. Although it kind of loses me a little bit at the end. Yeah, let's 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 uh, hit the beginning to officially start. Written on the fingernails. Yeah. Okay, sure. Just to be uh, the the thwackings. Yeah, we will start with that. Uh, he's got me at the thwackings. Yes, this first <laughs> chapter is called the thwackings, and that's like I'm not saying it's enough to redeem, you know, a history of imperialism, but <laughs> no, it's certainly a nice addition to uh, a novel. I, I think, I mean, if you were to mind, I, I would like to start even uh, before that. Uh, just thinking about, like, let's say you're a big fan of the uh, the, the Ballantine series. So you, you've just read the, the two earlier books, The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath mm-hmm. by Lovecraft and Zothique by Clark Ashton Smith. Uh, and then you hit this title, The Shaving of Shagpat. Like, yeah. It's funny because it has like that epic construction, right? Yeah. yeah. And yet <laughs> uh, shaving uh, doesn't seem. Uh, That's not a word you see in a title. No, yeah. Yeah. no. 
Mm. Although it, it's funny, and, and maybe you want to cut this, but I, I have a story I wrote where my goal was to describe shaving for as long as possible before getting to the, <laughs> the plot. So there, there's something here for me in this. <laughs> um, and then it goes down a fantasy vein. But mm. I, I do think there's something fun in the imagery of shaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so getting to the first line, as we traditionally do, it was ordained that Shibli Bagarag, nephew of the renowned Baba Mustafa, chief barber to the court of Persia, should shave Shagpat, the son of Shimpur, the son of Shulpi, son of Shulum, and they had been clothiers for generations, even to the time of Shagpat the Illustrious. I mean, if it wasn't for the racism, yeah, like linguistically, stylistically, I would be in already like i love the rhythms of it mm-hmm. um i love the structure i love the the oral tradition storytelling uh conceit um i initially even wondered if this was a a, a novel written in verse was my first mm. thought on on reading the first couple of lines and yeah, I, it does have that rhythm yeah and and i did see he was a poet also the, this isn't written in verse but it's written with the the sensibility of a poet yeah, and we also have, like, the action of this is interesting, again, going back to the title, because uh, someone has been ordained to shave someone, which is not an inciting incident we tend to encounter. No, but I'm in for that. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that for me, it's like, why? Why is that so important? What is, what is the, the meaning of this shaving? You know, there, there are questions implied by it that, that genuinely do interest me. Yeah, the, the, the last time we had you on, uh, Alexander, we discussed uh, Necroscope, uh, which is one of those titles which I, I, I love to combine words, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, portmanteaus. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, uh, parallelophonograph. Wait, I might have missed one. Anyway, uh, but like the shaving of Shagpat, like already has some dynamism. Yeah. Uh, and then and then we hit the chapter title, The Thwackings, which like could be a name, but I suspect it's someone going to be thwacked. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, someone is going to be and, uh, to, to suffer a punishment of a dozen thwacks. But but we're choosing the most comical possible term for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, there, there's just I, I like I guess there there's no point here where I'm 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 turned off by anything yet. Besides, of course, the, 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 ra- of British the racism <laughs> where, where, where every sentence in this conversation yeah. is going to end with aside, of course, from the racism. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Like if we can ignore the history of British colonialism, it was yeah. just a little thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, also French. That's. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah. Like who who ordained that one character would shave the other? Why? Like they. they this first paragraph raises questions that intrigue me rather than frustrate mm-hmm. me, I guess. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. In terms of fantasy, it's really excellent world building. Again, if you divorce it from the fact that it's supposed to be uh, about an actual world in which actual people exist. Right. Like, it tells you so much about a social and cultural structure just by telling you that this one thing can be ordained to happen. And the shame of it is, it would be so easy to remove this from from that context of colonialism, mm-hmm. precisely because he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Yeah. Like, none of this has anything to do with the actual real culture it, that's just imposed on it as, as this veneer. 
And if he had just invented a fantasy world and set his story there, it'd be great. Or, like, I wonder if you could, you know, uh, if you could set this in London uh, or mm-hmm. Bath, where one character, for some reason, is destined to shave another. Set mm. it in, in Camelot. There's no reason you can't do this as, as like, Arthurian court. Why not? Mm. And then you're you're dealing with your own myths and legends, but you can still play with all the rest of this, at least as far as what we've seen so far. Mm. Um, and then we do come to this second paragraph, which, as mentioned, is really good as, like, a fast and truly bizarre summary of the story to come. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know what? I'll just read now. Now, the story of Shibli Bagarag and of the ball he followed and of the subterranean kingdom he came to and of the enchanted palace he entered and of the sleeping king he shaved and of the two princesses he released and of the afreet held in subjection by the arts of one and bottled by her. It is not known as for written on the fingernails of men and traced in their corner robes, as the poet says, etc., etc., I, I do want to question the word that my instinct was Afrite. I, I, I think it might be an alternate for African. I, I think it's like Ifrit, like the genie. Like, is it like the genie? That, that was my assumption. The, the spelling was so off from what I would expect for that, that I was unsure. I, I read it as another racial term. Boy, those, yeah, those would be two very different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with Vin on that. I, I okay. feel like I've seen that spelling before. Yeah, it uh, is. It is a, a gin or a genie. Okay. Yeah. All right. And the it's like uh, the bullet dodged, bottled by yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, but okay. I was. I, I thought like uh, like I I wanted to raise a question to to see if you guys had any better answers. What does it mean? I mean, so if something is written on your fingernails, uh, it is something that like you see every day, I suppose. Mm. and would be very clear to you you know uh like uh, as people say <laughs> and watch the, the 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 pacing of this language is going to start infecting my own speech i feel like in a minute i, I love the image mm-hmm. yeah um but i read that as like it's the knowledge of working men right it's people whose whose fingernails are are uh shredded from labor mm. Um, maybe it was literal as in like it is it is written in this way um but i don't know i I, there's not enough context yet for me to interpret it with confidence but i I do love the image see i i kind of took it as an attempt to recreate the inscrutability of a phrase in translation oh yeah that makes sense like this is a saying from another culture Mm -hmm. you can guess or like you can get sort of the gist from the construction and the context but the the origins will be elusive is that how you also read the uh traced in their corner robes yes and that's a curious because like like why why i guess why have two sort of inscrutable phrases uh for the rhythm i guess just <laughs> is what i'd say for the pleasure of the language yeah yeah and it is i mean even even as i was saying like I love everything up until the end, where it, which confuses me a little bit, but I still love it. Mm-hmm. Like just like reading it is, uh, like it it flows very nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get this couplet that's that's such a clunky couplet. Yes, mm-hmm. but and the fact that like everything else is 
not so clunky. Oh, it's purely intentional. It yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it has that that sort of cliche. There's there's a wink in it. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that the whole thing is kind of a wink since this mm -hmm. paragraph tells us everyone knows this story, which I'm just going to lay out here because we all know it. But of course, we don't know it because he's just making it up. Yeah. Uh, which I'm going to drag us backwards a little bit to that second paragraph. The like directness with which he tells us the things that are going to happen in the story that are super weird and like clearly don't make sense in the way that they're presented is really good. Mm -hmm. Like the story of Shibli Bagarag and of the ball he followed, which like I can sort of imagine how that happens in like a fairy tale type story, but that's not that's not a a sentence that's not an action that most people are familiar with that you can just toss out and then of the kingdom he came the subterranean kingdom he came to which is like an escalation mm -hmm. that is presented as just straightforward and of the enchanted palace which okay we're we're british we know what enchanted palaces are and then of the sleeping king he shaved which is probably the climax of the paragraph mm-hmm so the chasing a ball, that is uh, the Frog Prince. That's how the story of the Frog Prince starts. That is the Frog Prince. You're right. Mm -hmm. And and it leads to royalty. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the sleeping king he shaved. Like that is an excellent crux for a story. It is. Well, it's funny because like, you know, as you said, Vin, this is all presented very uh, nonchalantly. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh yeah, the sleeping king. But like, we don't know whether the king is sleeping because he's asleep or whether the king is sleeping because he's under some enchantment or whether he's sleeping in the way that like Arthur is sleeping yeah, uh, under the hill, which is to say dead until yeah. he needs to return. Right. Uh, like, like it's, it's, it's kind of funny cause he's, he's saying all this with the air of just telling us things we already know or things that don't need describing, but like every part does raise a question and it is funny like you pointed out like i i, I wouldn't have recognized the the ball he followed as the beginning of the uh frog prince uh but like like he's playing with things that we know about mm -hmm. but like there's enough room there for things that we don't know about mm. and also the fact that he just like piles them on top of each other yeah uh and also like you know at the beginning of the frog prince you're talking about you know young royalty following a ball Whereas in this case, we're talking about uh, a professional barber, mm -hmm. which is a, a funny twist on that, because like that is not a person who goes chasing balls around. No, I, I and even just as ways of, of rooting it back in his own culture, the, the sleeping king bit could even be a play on Macbeth. Mm. Right. Instead of instead of murdering him, I took off his beard. <laughs> And there, there's a fun story in that. Yeah. It's curious, you know, you know, that first, well, so the story is named the shaving of Shagpat. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first paragraph is all about the shaving of, of, sorry, of Shagpat, uh, you know, and then the second paragraph introduces us to a lot of things that are not mm -hmm. Shagpat unless, no, no, he's the clothier unless, unless he's secretly a king. Uh, but I don't believe we're, we're that, mm. uh, but it is curious. You're, 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 you're. Well, no, Shagpat is the king. Shibli uh, Bagarag um, is is the the barber. You think you think Shagpat is the sleeping king in the subterranean kingdom? I think so. I think the king is a third party. I think that 
and this is again my interpretation based on this page that uh shagpat is a notable citizen of the court of persia and is like part of the inciting incident that leads to eventually discovering a sleeping king in an underground kingdom oh there are two shagpats that's true you think there's there's two different shagpats there's shagpat who's supposed to be shaved but then there's an ancient king, Shagpat the Illustrious. Mm-hmm. That's true. So actually, it could be either and or both. <laughs> so uh, I, I wonder if part of the comedy here is going to be a, a, a comedy of errors of uh, shaving, shaving the wrong, the wrong Shagpat. Shagpat. <laughs> oh, boy. We're back, we're back to it could be Shakespeare. I right? was going to mm-hmm. say, but I mean, even also the fact that, well, I was going to say uh, your, 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 your comment on the Macbeth sleeping king made me think of Hamlet. Uh, who uh, is also a, a displaced nephew, right? Mm-hmm. Like Shibli Bagarag may be a uh, very good barber, but his his uncle is the renowned Baba Mustafa, chief barber to the court of Persia. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like Shibli maybe doesn't have a place in the court of Persia, and that which, yeah, no, I'm yeah, just more more questions. But again, I'm very comfortable not knowing them right now. And then we meet him in the next paragraph. And he's clearly uh, down on his luck. Yeah. yeah. Of Shagpat the Clothier. Okay, yeah. So this is... Oh, God. So does... <sighs> he's supposed to shave Shagpat the Clothier, but he ends up shaving Shagpat the King. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where it's going. Leading to some thwackings, perhaps? Leading to some thwackings. Mm-hmm. Ah. Huh. Interesting. Mm. But again, we get another sort of very poetic description of how, like, just how down on his luck he is. Things were in that condition. Mm-hmm. Being on a certain day, he was hungry and abject. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like that. I like that language a lot. Yeah. And the city of Shagpat the Clothier was before him. Like, that's a really great way of, like, est- like essentially establishing a camera angle in in just a phrase mm-hmm. where you can like you're automatically seeing the way that the city sprawls out as you're coming to it yeah it's funny uh just thinking about sorry the, your, your comment about the camera angle made me think about how you could probably never capture what makes this page interesting in in film mm. since so much of the in- interesting part is the the language and the rhythm I think this is the sort of thing that if you were filming this, you would retain a narrator or narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's meant to sound like oral storytelling. So you you just run with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was um, I was recently on a podcast talking about the movie, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. (laughs) And that is a movie that opens with what if we were talking about a different genre, we, we would call a huge info dump of someone just telling us the history of this whorehouse and the town it's in, but it's delivered in a beautiful drawl by Jim neighbors. Mm. And it's super compelling and funny and just like drags you along. And this is that same kind of thing where like, you can do a big info dump mm-hmm. of text. If your text is good and your delivery is good. Or if the person delivering the info dump has a stake in what they're telling you, Mm-hmm. And it's all colored by that person's motives. Yeah, perspective. <laughs> also, I'd pay to hear Jim Neighbors read this. That would be amazing. <laughs> is that a 
Patreon bonus. Uh, yeah, it is. I, I mean, I, I am. Uh, I'm curious to read more with the the caveat <laughs> that, that we've we've been talking about before. Yeah. But like, I remember, I think uh, uh, the science fiction author Anne Leckie wrote a blog post once about what it was like reading science fiction and being a fan um uh as a woman mm-hmm. which was she she compared it to like going to a restaurant and really enjoying the meal but sometimes the waiter might just punch you yep mm. and it's just like it's you know like and yeah that, that comparison has always kind of stuck with me for like that moment of like oh you're like you're reading something and like there's a moment of racism or sexism or you know ableism or i mean especially the things that you may have personally experienced i think hit you a little differently than than the things we just know are like going to hurt other people mm-hmm. hmm. we we just listened to uh the westing game on audio with mm. with my my son who's who's 11 and it's such a great book but there were so many moments where we had to pause it and say okay this is language we don't use anymore was it about the chinese family or uh, um or... there was a bit about the chinese family although the writing about the chinese family wasn't that bad the problem was the reader decided to do an accent oh was the larger issue than the writing um but it was more the language around um the disabled child um and and the terms being used to describe him um and again the reader doing the voice um but uh you know again it was terms that were in use at the time the the author's intentions around how the character is written are very positive mm-hmm. um and and the character is has has a, a great deal of agency and and accomplishes valuable things um but it's the vocabulary is yeah. a real issue <laughs> Yeah. It is always interesting to me, like, like we were saying at the beginning of uh, like books where people may have had good intentions, but either through lack of experience uh, or just through time moving on, like Mm -hmm. things have (laughs) like, maybe we've internalized the lesson. Like, uh, like I, I, I'm a big believer in the, uh, uh, the line of reasoning that goes that uncle Tom's cabin, uh, caused the civil war. Um, because it's like really unflinching in its depiction of, of, of black people as people, mm-hmm. um, which, which, uh, happens through them being described as being like having souls and all being brothers and sisters in Christ. Like there's, there's no one in that book who isn't Christian. Uh, <laughs> of so, course so, not. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like speaking of like things that like kind of hit you and I'm just like, where, where are the Jews? Like, are they okay? Like, <laughs> and, and and we know they're worthwhile because they converted. Uh, yeah. Like there's always that. Um, but like, it is funny, you know, that today, you know, his, historically uncle Tom's cabin was this huge mm-hmm. surge that like really challenged a lot of people uh, and actually caused a whole backlash of uh, what's called anti-Tom literature in the South, Ooh. where all these plantation owners were writing about like, look, ever they're like our our slaves are happy. They they just get um uh they just get confused by Northerners. Oh God, like, abolition! Like it's it's like it's it's the stuff you would find today of like outsiders are coming in mm-hmm. and making problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to have cameras in all our classrooms. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh. Hopefully. Hopefully that reference will uh, 
not make any sense by the time this podcast comes out. Yeah. Um, but it's always interesting to find like how things like that change, uh, and like move mm. on. Uh, yeah. And it's always a sort of interesting conversation and process to figure out like what, like how much we can take out of works that have their foundations in something that is racist but not hostile mm. like right. Right. yeah passively hostile instead of yeah. actively hostile mm-hmm. right i guess that and and that that's a good way of bringing me back to my point which is like i i i enjoyed this page enough that i would like i would definitely be curious to see what happens on the next page but you know since my copy is incredibly dusty from this used bookstore uh, I would not be surprised if at some point I, I I kind of just said like okay like everything about this is a little too dusty for me. It's yeah, time to find something that's a little less uh, punchy. Yeah, and I will say this is like in terms of writing and like the sort of weird fairy tale style of it. This is very much my jam, mm-hmm. and because I'm privileged enough to not be in opposition to be directly harmed by any of it, it's the kind of thing that I can explore fairly safely. So like I I could see myself reading through this um you know I, with caution and advisement I would certainly be curious to pick up something else by the author mm-hmm. that is in a different setting <laughs> that is more appropriate to his knowledge Yeah it does seem like most of the rest of his work is uh more traditionally british yeah uh, probably for better and for worse Yeah I might oh. even look up some of his poetry. Hmm. Yeah, he's got he's got an ear, right? Yeah. Although, uh, how, how about this for a line from Wikipedia? <clears throat> Meredith's first first major novel, The Ordeal of Richard Feverel, emerged from his experience of the collapse of his marriage and shocked many readers with its sexual frankness. All right. That's. I mean, hmm. we're you know we were talking about like writing informed by your own experience. Like, mm-hmm. That sounds pretty informed yeah no Mm -hmm. that sounds like something that would be interesting and and um you know written with clarity of of what his his subject is um and of course it's always interesting to see how the boundaries of what's considered shocking were moved uh in past times Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that, you know, as shocking as it was at the time, we'd probably read it and be like, well, where, where was that? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, That's always, yeah. I like, you know, I think when I was young, I used to believe that the text should just stand for itself or by itself. And now, now I'm much more like, they should probably have like maybe an essay just explaining like, like there's always like that moment of like, uh, in high school when you read, uh, uh yeah ibsen's the dollhouse mm-hmm. and you're like what like what's the problem here i don't understand like she should just leave him mm-hmm. right and it's like okay yeah let's talk about <laughs> history yeah. yeah no context is important you know there, there are certain things that you can read and and uh grasp everything that it's about without needing that but especially when we're talking about historical works they everything is written in conversation with its time and if you're reading it without that other side of the conversation, you only know half of what's going on. I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> um, so, Alexander, where can people find you and your work online? 
You can find me. Uh, I am the co-creator of the audio drama Greater Boston with Jeff Van Driesen, which you can find us online at greaterbostonshow.com or on any podcatcher. Uh, I am a sound designer on Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. I am a sound designer of What's the Frequency? Forgot to mention that one last time. Uh, James is going to kill me. Um, <laughs> And I am a writer on the forthcoming uh, ElfQuest audio movie. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blackberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Vin LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter, or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>